Tuesday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. Got three, two good games, maybe, and one not very good game to, to get to. Start with Clippers and Jazz, then OKC losing to Houston in five. We got a lot to talk about in that game. That, of course, a series that has sparked much discussion. And then San Antonio regaining command against Memphis pretty comfortably at home. We're sponsored today by our friends at SeatGeek. Use the Capspace code to get $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase and distilled premium denim. Go to distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com slash Capspace right now to get 10% off your first pair. Well, this game, the Clippers and Jazz, Danny, felt to me like it was kind of what I wanted to believe about the series all along. And it's not not, uh, fair to the Clippers because uh, Blake Griffin wasn't playing and, you know, they really missed him against guarding Joe Johnson. And I thought they could have defended this Jazz team pretty well with Luke on Hayward and Blake on Joe Johnson. So it's not quite fair, but it was good to see finally this Jazz team be all that we hoped they could be throughout the season with everybody as healthy as they've been all season. Yeah. And while this game was close, you know, went down to the last to the last minute, the Jazz were the better team overall. And I don't think he's necessarily the key figure in the game, but I thought Rudy Gobert was a major part of that just because while he is a rim protector and that is certainly a big part of his value, he is also much better offensively at this point than the other options. Favors did have a good, I think it was game three that he was good offensively. And then Gobert also is just so, so effective and disruptive in passing lanes. And the Clippers rely a lot on passing lanes to make their offense sink. Yeah, and they have a lot of passing that they have to do in tight quarters because, as we know, with Mbamute on the floor and Mbamute played 37 minutes again to guard these Jazz wing scorers, there's not a lot of space on the floor. And so Rudy Gobert was unbelievable in the passing lanes, just stunting towards his guy getting back to the roll man and he had five steals and two blocks in this one just an incredible performance by him looks like he's pretty darn close to back uh also had 11 points and 11 boards two on the offensive glass so that was key and then the jazz completely controlled their own defensive glass as well holding the clippers to only three rebounds so only got eight percent of their offensive rebounds deandre jordan was ineffective in that role uh but i really thought that and we'll get to joe johnson again his late game but to me this was a game for gordon hayward 27 points only 16 field goal attempts he was four of eight from three five of five from the line all clutch free throws late had four assists two steals and also three offensive rebounds which i I thought was huge and hayward to me made the four biggest plays of the game one was sprinting the floor on a dead run at the end of the third quarter as the Clippers attempted a shot with a five second differential at the end of the quarter, he beat his man down floor and got a dunk uh, just as time was expiring uh, to give the Jazz some momentum going into the fourth. Then he also was able to run the floor with under two minutes remaining and get fouled. He beat pretty much everyone down the floor. The Clippers sent three guys to the offensive glass, didn't get it. And then Hayward was able to run down, get fouled, make two free throws. And then he had two massive offensive rebounds. One, a tip out that he sent right to Joe Johnson for a huge three. Uh, That was a huge momentum play in the last four minutes of the game. And then in the last minute of the game with the Jazz clinging to a three-point lead, they had nothing going. And George Hill missed a tough three with the clock running down. 
as the Jazz had a three-point lead and Hayward got the offensive rebound and drew a foul. Both of those were at the expense of Jamal Crawford. And, and that's the next place to go to me really is just once again, the, the Jazz have exposed just how limited this Clippers supporting cast really is. And some of that, you know, there are some extenuating circumstances for the Clippers. First of all, Blake Griffin's injury puts a lot of guys in tough spots because they don't have power forward depth. They actually trotted out Brandon Bass and Paul Pierce for moments in this game, and neither of them was particularly impressive. Paul Pierce actually, I think, had a positive plus minus, but he wasn't great. And Austin Rivers is still making his way back from a hamstring injury, and hamstring injuries, as we've both talked about ceaselessly, are notoriously finicky because it's a muscle and you worry about, you know, exacerbating the issue i understand why they brought him back he looked okay you know he didn't he didn't look amazing or terrible other than well being athletically yeah, yeah athletically i thought he, he you know he didn't look terrible but i mean he, he really struggled in this one he was 0 for 4 had a couple of really bad turnovers as well um got to the foul line twice and that was pretty much it as far as positive contributions and he wasn't able to do a ton defensively either i thought uh so and he was negative four only scored two points so uh, i mean maybe he'll do better the next game now he's got his feet underneath him but i mean tough ass for anyone to just come back in the middle of the playoff series so i'm not trying to be too critical of him but the the fact was he he didn't help them tonight and then you know ray felton he played 17 minutes they're trying to play him next to paul he was 0 for 3 had only two points uh crawford was miserable tonight i mean i I tweeted during game four that as he was lighting up the jazz and almost helped the the clippers win that that it must be miserable to be on the receiving end of like the one in four good games that jamal crawford can summon at this point in his career um but he was not able to summon one of those today and uh really it was just paul reddick and deandre jordan who were the only players who were in double figures for the la clippers and DeAndre was another example of, of, you know, his impact, not only in terms of his presence, but also his absence. Some of Utah's best stretches were during those, you know, like two or three minute spans where he was sitting. And you could tell it because his replacement was Marie Spates, who is not good defensively and peculiar offensively. Yeah, that's something true. And Spates, he can get hot too, but they really took away everything from him uh he was 0 for 3 0 for 1 on threes and Jordan I mean he was plus 10 in a game that they lost by 10 obviously you know and Paul he was plus 3 I'm sorry they didn't lose but they lost by 4 96 92 Paul was plus 3 you know so the lack of depth really became an issue for them obviously and Chris Paul to me has been the third best player in the playoffs so far like it's been it's not even close actually I don't think so uh he just has not had the help around him and I mean if it weren't for him his heroics in game three the series would be over already it certainly would be. And I think one of the other things we have to talk about is George Hill, you know, on his way back, he was one of seven from three, but hit four absolutely nails free throws in the final minute. Yeah, he and Hayward, I think they took a combined eight free throws in like the last few minutes of the game. I don't think a single one of them even hit the rim going through the net. Like just, oh, no, actually, that's not true. Uh, Hill did rim one in. That was like the first free throw of two that, you know, put him up by four and, and five late. But, uh, but uh, other than that, yeah. I mean, he did hit, hit the clutch ones and, you know, it wasn't the best game for Hill, you know, three out of 12 from the field did get to the foul line late, as we mentioned, but it had, he had seven assists and he kept things running a little bit. He just didn't have a ton of juice, but he was being guarded by Chris Paul and Chris Paul, you know, just shuts guys down. I mean, George Hill has had a, a better season than anyone had right to expect. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's not going to be able to do much in pick and roll being guarded by Chris Paul, but they have other guys who were who able to do that. And I thought, uh, you know, we should talk about Joe Johnson as well. It was a really interesting cat and mouse game down the stretch. They tried going with Joe Johnson handling the ball and pick and roll. And I thought actually, and you see the difference, by the way, 
People be like, oh yeah, like Reddick and Crawford can't guard anyone. Well, Reddick at least tries. And he did a great job on a couple of possessions, not switching and just fighting through, making it really hard for the guy that he was guarding to get over there and set the screen or initially for Johnson, uh, fighting through, showing, getting back to his guy, Hill, twice. And th- they stopped him on both of those plays. And because Reddick just tried hard, you know, and Crawford, it's just to give up, he switches. You know, he, he's not going to, he doesn't have that level of effort in him that determined to be like all right you know i'm just gonna fight as hard as i can even though my tools are limited and then where the jazz went on one of the big icing plays for joe johnson was they instead went with hill handling the ball and johnson setting the screen and then he slipped it early and was able to get the advantage on bob mute and then uh pull up for a nice little fadeaway and and johnson quite clutch as well he hit that huge three two of five on three six of 14 from the field had uh eight rebounds and three assists and uh, 14 big points in, in his 31 minutes i would say the most surprising thing about this game because the most surprising thing was not jj reddick getting fouled on two questionable three-point shooting fouls the most surprising thing was not that gobert and favors ran a platoon because that's pretty similar to what they did in game four it was that gobert got almost all of the minutes so they combined for almost 48 so basically about the about what you would expect gobert got 35 favors got 11 yeah and the only time that neither of them were in was late when they were trying to inbound the ball and not have any bad free throw shooters in but yeah i mean gobert was great i mean he i think they just wanted to see how his knee would respond in that first game and favors also played well and i thought that uh, gobert played better than favors in this game so it was good to see quinn be able to go back to gobert and i know uh, I feel great for him that he's been able to return and have the effect that he has in this series. I mean, because you felt like, hey, like his playoffs were over 11 seconds in and for him to be able to get back is really outstanding as well. Then I thought that Rodney Hood also provided something for the Jazz. It was good to see him play more. Ingles played a little bit less in this one. He was 0 for 4, 0 for 4 on threes, although he was taking up a lot of energy defending Chris Ball and he at least had four assists. So Hood got 29 minutes and was able to get up 17 shots, only made six of them. But I I thought that the aspect that he had making Redick and Crawford guard, and he can really get his shot off anytime on a spot up on those guys because he's he's 6'8". He jumps really high on his jumper and those guys trying to close out on him, you know, they got short arms. They're just not going to be able to do it. And so he was able to get some really good looks, hit a, a huge three in the fourth quarter on a nice play design by Quinn Snyder, where they first ran a small, small pick and roll. And then after uh, there was a switch, Hood got a back screen to the top of the key and was just completely wide open as the, the Clippers blew the switch. So uh, just a lot of weapons on this Utah team and they're really it's hard to what would you say is the weakness of uh this jazz team at this point if they really are healthy it's hard to to get to one maybe just creating an in isolation uh but even joe johnson against a lot of teams has been pretty good at that I mean, their man-to-man defense in this series has been solid, but I think that against elite creators, which they, if they make it to the next round, they will certainly be facing, that could be a challenge for them because they have Gobert and Gobert is ridiculous, but I don't trust a lot of their perimeter guys as those man-to-man guys. They can do, they can do the scheme fine, but go through that. But another guy I wanted to mention just a little bit, it wasn't a huge game for him, but Howell Neto just helped out. You know, they did the fact that they didn't have to try out, you know, go to the Shelvin Mack experience, Exum played a little bit, but Neto is just he's what they need for a few minutes a game just to be a a little bit of a stabilizing force work his ass off on defense and that works I mean the Clippers would love to have a guy like that Neto is good as a backup point guard he's really good defensively and he's not I don't think 100% after he suffered a pretty bad sprained ankle against Portland 
in uh you know the third to last game of the regular season uh but yeah i, I was impressed by him he's steady um did commit a, a foul against Redick on a three-point shot, which was uh, a bad call, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And then also Boris Dia, who I said, hey, they got to get this guy out of the starting lineup. And in fact, because, and take advantage of Spates. And in fact, Rivers went to Paul Pierce to start the second half in some ways to try and get some more spacing and take advantage of Dia. And I thought Dia actually responded really well. Dia had 10 points on four, six, uh, three assists and uh, made his two three-pointers. That was the biggest thing is just he's too reluctant to shoot those and on his drives you do have to help a little bit he got the spacing train moving and really the Jazz should have taken even a larger lead in the third quarter because uh they were getting a ton of wide open threes and missing them but overall for the game I mean they got their 13 and 36 on threes and to get that number of threes for the Jazz is really a very good number and while they shot extremely poorly from two-point range uh and shot only 43 percent overall didn't get to the foul line a ton that's a really good number it shows that their offense was working they're forcing help they're getting guys open and uh you know even though they're playing in the late clock uh I thought that they looked really good and again you know to say they outplayed the Clippers I, I think that's true you know the Clippers both teams scored like crazy in the fourth quarter it was 34 32 on only 22 possessions in the fourth quarter but it seemed like the Clippers just hit, were like desperately eking out points. They got the two BS fouls on Redick three pointers, where one of which he stuck his leg out in front of him, and that was the only contact. And the other one, after he had landed, there was like some slight contact to the midsection, and then he actually was like had landed on balance. And as he like some contact was made, you could see him just like desperately like trying to get his balance to go backwards so that he could fall and he, he got both of those calls both of those were really bad calls especially the one where he stuck his leg out because that's supposed to be a point of emphasis that you know that's either an offensive foul or a no call um especially when that's the only contact but uh so that kept them, them in it and you know they had a, a great run down 11 to get back into it with reddick five free throws and then paul hit two threes really quickly but then the jazz with an amazing response eight straight points First, it was Hayward with a really tough wing jumper uh, going to his right. And then threes from Hood. That was the one where they ran that play to uh, get him a flare screen to the top that I mentioned earlier. And then another three by Hayward off a kickout. And that really put the Jazz back into control in the game by eight. Two other points that I wanted to make, and I don't know how much we need to comment on them, but one is the Jazz just moving the ball a lot better, not only on the missed shots. I mean, they're, they're, so they had 25 assists. They could have had more assists than that if, if some of the ones had fallen. Clippers only had 16, nine of which came from Chris Paul. But then the other part, and I'm not laying this at the feet of DeAndre Jordan, especially considering his backups are so bad, but you think of his kind of two hallmarks as being offensive rebounds or defensive rebounds either way. And blocks, two blocks for the whole Clippers team compared to five for the Clip for the Jazz and only three offensive rebounds compared to seven. I mean, asking any big man to play 40 minutes and not get in foul trouble and you know that's just a lot and you know you can't you can't hide as a big man you got to give effort on every possession um whereas you know if they don't throw it to your guy or they don't run a screen for your guy as a small you can get some rest um and you just generally have to run further as a big man you got to run basket to basket instead of arc to arc so i i mean it's hard for me i mean he was at 14 points and 12 rebounds expecting him to also get on the offensive glass when the jazz are sending four guys to the glass i mean he got his hands on a lot of rebounds and it's just you know it got tapped and then someone else got it because the clippers like to get back and there was no one else yeah around. and that so was something I, else that happened he could have had another like three or four offensive rebounds where he tipped the ball to where a guy could have been there just was not a guy there i felt bad for doc rivers just i mean he was at the end of the game just frantically trying to sub guys in and out and bob mute crawford just trying to find 
something that would work to you know every other possession he used up a bunch of timeouts so he could sub guys in and so they didn't have timeouts left at the end but understand why i mean he had to go offense defense he felt like and the, there were stoppages all the time so it was too bad for the clippers at the end that they were out of timeouts when you know they had 11 seconds left and they're down two possessions but you know they weren't going to win the game anyway at that point um well and i feel less bad for him because yeah. he's the general manager you know this wasn't this wasn't yeah. a circumstance where somebody bought the wrong groceries this was a circumstance where he bought the wrong groceries for some of it and some of it he did right i mean they've done a good job of squeezing certain elements getting guys on minimum contracts it's just that when you miss on as many draft picks as they did and, and then another big team building piece they had was their mid-level exception that guy's perfectly healthy and didn't play well yeah, actually he did West play Johnson, three minutes but yeah three minutes bass uh, was two minutes um so uh, and space i mean they got a lot of out of someone like spates in the offseason but we knew that he wouldn't be any good in the playoffs we always knew that that was the case you know he just he sucked in the playoffs that even when he was with golden state every year so uh because he's just too easy to take advantage of defensively um so where does the series go from here it definitely feels to me like the jazz are firmly in control that the clippers are exhausted i mean the clippers shot 10 out of 23 on threes i don't expect them to do that again uh the jazz really have more athletes they have more depth they have out hustled the clippers in these last two games like the clippers don't have a ton of guys i mean and you've got so many guys now trying to play more minutes than they're used to reddick paul DeAndre and Bob Mute because they really only have four players right now you know and maybe Rivers can give them more maybe Crawford can give them more to me their biggest hope in this series is just that Rivers and Crawford can create a bunch of bad shots and that those shots will go in because that's that's like a variance that you know can't really be controlled by the other team I mean those guys can get those shots off they're 40 percent shots but sometimes they go in something else to remember is you talked about the fatigue of the Clippers and how star dependent they are game six is going to be played at elevation and that could make a difference they're also going to have a really large home crowd utah has you know it's the second second highest elevation of any team in the nba the other one being the nuggets and they're one of the few teams that has a regularly tangible home court advantage for that exact reason and yeah they're going to have two days off because this game was on tuesday and the next one's not until friday but that's still an advantage I mean, is there anything you could do in terms of adjustments if you're the Clippers? I mean, I thought one thing that they succeeded at still and, and that we watched very closely as we talked about this in the Twitter NBA show was where are the screens between Paul and DeAndre Jordan occurring? Are they occurring closer to the three-point line or are they occurring even higher up on the floor? And I think that way, when you can get a screen and then Paul can actually walk into a three-pointer and now you, you force Rudy Gobert to get all the way out to the three-point line as opposed to we're setting it right at the three-point line now the guy can get over the screen or you can now your ice coverage is more effective too you can keep him out of the middle if it's more on the side uh you know if you try to keep him out of the middle that high on the floor then they just set the screen flat and now he's still got all this room to work with um so that it doesn't really work as well higher on the floor uh that's something i'm really going to be watching and you know they have to kind of get in semi-transition that way you know or even at the start of a possession bring it up after a make to set that so paul can have a little bit of momentum but it's just it's too much on Chris Paul. I mean, they had 16 assists in this game and he had nine of them and nobody else had more than two. And the Jazz, uh, for their part, had 25 assists and they had five guys who had three or more assists in this game. I agree with all that. 
And another piece for me is that you, you talked about the idea of variance. I would go small immediately, not early, immediately, and just see what you can do. You know, go for that high variance strategy, whether it's Jamal or Austin Rivers or something else, and just see if it works. You Yeah, you might have trouble if you have to put like Austin Rivers on, I guess that would probably be Boris Dio. Yeah, you're going to have some problems with that, but Boris Dio can't stick with him either. Or if you, and if you're going to hide him, you know, hide him on however you're going to do that. I think that's their best chance to win is to kind of create create the the uncertainty and the like just flukiness that is that gives them the advantage I guess just in terms of random chance because in terms of pure talent as great as Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan are they're the underdogs in the series no I think that's that's pretty clear but this is a young team but uh, you know the veteran presence of guys like Hill and Johnson this is a jazz team that struggled in the clutch for years before this year and I think getting those guys and now with Joe being in the closing lineup especially uh, is huge and it's great to see him have another moment as well and be effective it's pretty incredible I would love I would love to see some crunch time with this jazz lineup with you know and, and how the warriors are going to try to guard joe johnson in the next round and, and who they put on i mean i think they got some pretty damn good options frankly but uh you know, you know we'll see if, if they get there i'm definitely rooting for utah i mean the clippers don't have the horses with blake out now we've seen this movie a ton of times with them you know i love watching paul but th- there's nobody else i really enjoy that much from an aesthetic standpoint on the Clippers and I want to see what this jazz team can be you know we'll see uh but they, they got to win first on Friday and then if they were to lose that quick turnaround to uh game seven on Sunday I mean I think I would favor the jazz actually in both of those games even if they lose game six I might favor them in game seven just be unless something weird happens because they just have so much more talent and it's just so hard for the Clips to create offense with Mbamute on the floor and just all this defensive talent including Gobert now who's back at the height of his power so you got to say I mean I think the jazz have you know 75 percent chance of winning this series at this point um and historically the home when the road team wins game five they only win the series i think like 66 percent of the time but i would favor the jazz more i think they're clearly the better team at this point in time so why don't we uh wrap that up and tell you a little bit about SeatGeek if you want to go and see that game six on friday in utah or anything else SeatGeek is better than the way you've been getting tickets for two reasons one they aggregate ticket buying sites together. So you don't have to go to a bunch of different sites worried that you missed out on a deal. Now you just go to SeatGeek and you have the options in front of you. Two, they have a proprietary technology that actually ranks every ticket based on value. So if you want to sit in section 103 and you see one ticket that's four rows ahead of another one, but it's 20 bucks more expensive and you don't, you're trying to figure out which one is a better deal, SeatGeek can tell you that. And So now, because you've got the ticket buying options all in the app, and because you've got them ranked on value, it's basically, you pick the game, you pick the section you generally want to sit in, you pick the best value, and now you're done getting your seats in like 90 seconds. It's really impressive. You know, I used to get so much anxiety about like, all right, did I get the absolute best deal? Did I look in the right place? Did I pick the right tickets, the right row? And now it's just so much easier with SeatGeek. So the way to get started with them and let them know that you came from us is to use the cap space code, easy to remember because we talk about it all the time on the program and that'll get you a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So that's the free SeatGeek app and the cap space code. Let them know that you came from us. We'll talk about the specifics of this game, but I think, you know, a series that we knew was likely to be over another close loss for the Thunder, another rather thirsty shooting performance from Russell Westbrook, taking 18 of his 34 shots from three point range and going five out of 18 scored 47 points on 34 shots. Nine assists, five offensive rebounds, seven turnovers. 
But just how are you left feeling uh, about this series? Just what comes to mind for you? I was amazed by how frequently the Thunder outplayed the Rockets starters versus starters. And especially in that first quarter, both in this game and a few other ones recently, I I remember that also being prominent in game four. Yes, they lost both of those games, but in both of them, they had leads after one quarter and those leads could have been larger than they were. And I had posited the idea before this series started that it was going to parallel that Rockets Warrior series from 2015, where the Rockets held the Warriors to a draw when Harden was on the floor and then just got demolished whenever he sat. Some of that was due to injuries and everything else that was going on with that team. Half of that was true, but the Thunder did better when Westbrook was on the floor than just holding him even. Well, not only that, though, I I do think that's only part of the story. And again, Russ was plus 12 in this game in a game that his team lost by six even though he only sat for six minutes in this game and of course that's got to be frustrating again and, and he he and Patrick Beverly revealed a, a, an interesting exchange which we should, we should talk about later but they also got their butts kicked when he was on the floor in the fourth quarter in the series yes and you could say that that's fatigue uh and we remember we, when we talked about his MVP campaign we gave Billy Donovan credit for limiting his minutes to about 34 minutes a game this season and that that maybe is why he was able to spawn these amazing comebacks but then there also was just some real stylistic problems with the type of shots that he took and we were talking about it on the Twitter NBA show today it was just really really bad shots by him in the fourth quarter and you knew when he hit a few threes in a row in the third that that basically was going to give him license in his mind that he was hot now and he was just going to take whatever shot. And yeah, that that didn't go too well. Now, of course, on the Rockets side, Harden had, had a nearly identical line. If you just scale it down a little bit, he took half of his shots as threes and only made two out of 13. Did get to the foul line for 16 of 17, of course. And Russ was 12 of 17 in his own right. Um, and, and actually, Russ missed uh, some free throws in, in this uh, series, I thought. Uh, the, and his free throws look bad. They're kind of flat. But that's ancillary to the point here. Yeah, so so I thought that was true. But you're right, Danny. Like, if you were just to, let's say, all right, I'm going to generate a random point at any game in this series. I'm going to ask you the question, who is playing better right now, Houston or OKC? You would say OKC more than 50% of the time in this series. I mean, the first half of game one, I thought they played better. First three quarters of game two, they played better. Game three, they won at home and and played better for most of that. They had a 10-point lead until the last, you know, 10 minutes or last five minutes of the game. Game four, again, they had a double-digit lead in the third quarter. And even in this game, they led going into the fourth quarter as well uh, by five points. So... Whether you want to say that Houston isn't that good, and they had a lot of guys who, I mean, a reason Anderson are struggling mightily right now. They combined for two of 12, 0 of 8 on threes, and Anderson in particular, though he was plus 11, you know, has not been good in this series. Um, so that maybe gives you a little bit of pause about Houston going forward. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think that they're this Thunder team, after watching them in this series, if they can make some changes, they may not be that far away to me from actually like getting into being a 50 win team team if they can keep these guys together and and maybe change some things around of course will they change some things around that's an interesting question uh and, and also you can say too as much as you want to that the Thunder played better than the Rockets. The Rockets had some truly miserable three-point shooting games in this series. They're six out of 37. That's 16% for three, and they still won tonight. So uh, usually the Rockets will hit a lot more shots. So maybe that would have changed all of this. Oh, OKC was playing better anyway. I think it certainly would have. And it wasn't like Oklahoma City was doing a masterful job defending those shots. You know, maybe they were doing better than average in terms of that. But so when you're sitting there and seeing that six of 37 and things like that, that's a little bit different. Something else that stood out to me in this series was 
Russell Westbrook took eight or more three-pointers in four of the five games of this series. He made three of 11, two of 11, three of eight, five of 18. They lost all four of those games. He only took one in one game and they won that game and led most of the way. I don't think that is necessarily too endemic, but he's, it's not the biggest strength of his game. And what was so frustrating about watching these, these games is that yes, the Thunder changed their personnel around a little bit for the fourth quarter and they go with this kind of defensive defense and Russ idea. The Thunder were starters versus starters were so much more fun to watch and were better in the first three quarters of each of these games in stylistically and in terms of success than they were in the fourth quarter no that, that's true and it wasn't enough pick and roll i mean how many zero pass three-point jack possessions did OKC have and you know towards the end they got down by seven in the last three minutes all right now you want to jack threes i actually think that teams don't do that enough um to just like to we're going to take all threes and we're going to take the first good look for a three but yeah i mean like russ is playing like they're down 10 the entire fourth quarter um by the way i, I looked it up houston averaged shooting 10 out of 34 28 on three-pointers in this series and well, I thought actually OKC did a pretty decent job of limiting their threes and just trying to guard Harden. And I thought Robertson was really good at times. What do you think of Robertson as a player? To me, he's become one of the more difficult to evaluate players in the league because I thought he was fabulous for most of the series on Harden, although uh, in the third and fourth quarters, he actually was really bad on him. Uh, and that was that was huge as Harden was able to just get downhill and get fouled like every time in the fourth quarter. Um but also, I mean, I counted 10 plays just in the first half alone where somebody not guarding Robertson resulted in OKC just getting stuck and having to take a bad shot or, or going into a turnover. I think he was born at the wrong time because now not only with the coaching that we have, but just with the way that players are willing to execute a scheme, we know that what's going to happen with him unless he gets a lot better offensively is exactly what happened in this series. Teams are going to help off him. They're going to clog everything up and playing it on the Thunder exacerbates that because they play other non-shooters and they also play a best player whose biggest weakness is taking is taking shots from too far out. So it kind of all feeds yeah. together. In this and vicious early in cycle. the clock too yeah, yeah it, but, it, but i it, mean yeah exactly it is a vicious cycle that's, that's and, precisely and, what it is and so that is a problem and it's a problem that even adding more shooting you know a little bit more because they're committed you know victor oladipo part of their team Steven Adams, part of their team, unless they structurally move one of those two guys. And I'm not saying either of them is bad. You know, it's just the idea of this constraints. Oklahoma City, to me, then becomes one of those kind of like the more modern Clippers, not like the, the years when they were like snake bit, but they were still really good, where, yeah, they can win a lot of regular season games. They can be fun to watch, but you don't think of them as a real title contender because their pathway isn't really there because there will always be teams, A, that can execute better, and there will be teams that just have superior talent so that's not a bad place to be i mean we could have this very similar conversation about the toronto raptors depending on how this goes especially the raptors pre-trade deadline i think that was even more applicable to them at that time so oklahoma city has all that together and so you just need to sit there as a ownership group general manager for an office and say is that enough is that what we want and robertson is a very good player like i some of the stuff he does defensively is just uncanny because not only is he a good man-to-man defender an elite man-to-man defender but he's also capable as a help defender he's a good rebounder so he does a lot of things right that other guys don't we talked on the twitter show about the difference between robertson and bradley's defenders but their differences offensively 
consistently are just stark. And those matter a great deal in terms of successful playoff basketball. Yeah, you mentioned it's really hard for him because I think he could be effective if you can have him as the screener. I really play him as the four on offense, but they don't have a five who can shoot. And Cantor can hang out in the corner every once in a while. We'll get to him too. Um, But if they're playing with Gibson, I mean, there was one possession where they tried to have Robertson set the screen. He rolls to the basket and then Gibson and Adams are standing on either block it's just like there's nowhere to go at all I mean that's their starting lineup he's starting like to expect to score there I mean it's amazing that they're able to score as well as they could and you know obviously transition the offensive boards that's a big part of that it was and so I I wonder seeing how easily they scored when they went to a more spread line I mean they had a set that they just got a great shot out of every time where they it was a horn set with Adams on the left elbow McDermott on the right and they would just run a pick and roll with Russ and Adams on the left elbow and then McDermott would swing back to the top taking the help with him and Houston couldn't guard that you know and because Russell Westbrook is just he's this force he can get right to the rim there's no help on the backside with McDermott swinging to the top he got you know layups off of that they got McDermott open threes um so if they could just play Robertson at the four I mean maybe they just like let Taj Gibson go um I mean they're locked into cancer anyway maybe they could just move cancer and re-sign Gibson as the backup center but hard to believe that he will be back I'd be surprised if he's back I mean he said he'd like to but you know you're gonna have to pay me and they're gonna have some tax concerns and if they just played Robertson at the four, and maybe you just punt a little bit uh, on defense, you know, you got, you still got Robertson, you've got Steven Adams, that's two good defenders, Old Depot can be okay. What if you just play McDermott or Abrinas and get enough shooting on the floor where that's actually can get, be pretty hard to guard? You know, maybe they can do that, or they can go with more defensive lineups as well. And I just wonder whether Robertson really helped them in this series. You know, even with James Harden struggling as much as he did, and even with the fact that OKC still scored pretty well in this series until this game, uh, and, you know, second half of game one, they weren't any good either. They had some droughts, to be sure. Like, does he really help them when you have all these other guys, too, who, you know, Grant is another one, too. You know, Grant can play some backup power forward for him as well. Um, you know, I don't know. I think Abrinas could be a player. I liked what I saw from him in the series, even though he was coming off a knee injury. Um, he needs a little bit of a longer rope. I think Oladipo needs a longer rope. And, you know, this this hero ball stuff for Russ, he was the MVP for a reason, right? And even as we were saying, hey, he provided this value, he's clutch. We were saying, you know what? I don't think it's sustainable. And obviously in the playoffs, it wasn't close to sustainable. He tried that same crap and it didn't even come close to working. God, I'm thinking about the Robertson situation. It's just, it's it's so challenging. And of course, fast. he's going to be a restricted free agent now too. Yeah. You know, I mean, what, what kind of offer is he going to get? And who is willing to... To, to look at that package and say that's the guy we want to spend x amount of money on and then also assuming that some team likes it or if they want to just turn the screws to okc a little bit which could happen as well maybe okc considers not matching it be either because of luxury tax concerns or fit concerns or whatever else and i think that I, I i didn't i hadn't considered this possibility before but when i made the comparison to the pre-trade ra- raptors in terms of where they could be i think that's also compelling in terms of the idea of how they their trade deadline affected this because if they didn't have McDermott, it would be very hard for them to find somebody like McDermott with their limited flexibility. So that could be a real godsend, even though he wasn't a big part of their team this year. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we keep waiting for him to be a big part and he'll go off every once in a while, but you know, very inconsistent. He had zero points in 14 minutes today. Uh, we'll get to talk a lot more about Houston in general going into the next series, which is looking like it's probably going to be San Antonio. But a few notes on just the game in general it was 22 to 16 after the first quarter and 
that score always makes me laugh because I think of Bart and Lisa or uh, Bart and Homer putting frying pans in their head and like running towards each other and smashing their heads into each other. And then you don't even know what like the sport is. And they're like, oh, that makes 2216. Anyway, that is completely worthless. But OKC should have led by a lot more. They missed a lot of open threes. They missed a lot of layups. I thought their defense was excellent in that first quarter. And then uh, then they went to can't play him to start the second. Kander could be another guy in some ways like Robertson where his value just gets so diminished in the playoffs because you can once you game plan for him, you know exactly what to do. Yeah, and so... In the time Except that the he was on the floor, yeah, yeah. In the time that he was on the floor, which was a very short time, and Russ came back in, he went out. They, of course, hemorrhaged during that time. Four buckets, either attacking him in pick and roll, or where he provided inadequate health defense. Uh, for either four, four either buckets or fouls occurred during that time, and then they finally just took him out completely. They went with Gibson as the backup center to start the fourth, and they got killed during that period too. And that was Lou Williams, who had a great series, uh, but you know he got two fouls, shooting jump shots, and of course he makes every free throw. So that was five quick points and. One of those, again, he got a really bad call on that in game four. And in game five, again, it was a play where Oladipo, I mean, you got to put your arm somewhere. Like he was, he didn't actually make contact with him at all. You know, it's one thing if the guy's riding him with the forearm and he's making contact with his body and you try to go up and get a foul call. Williams just went through Oladipo's arm when he basically just had it like right in front of his own chest, not even touching Lou. And of course he, he got the foul. So again, we keep complaining. The league has to crack down on it. But those those five points were enormous. And in the six possessions that poor Russell Westbrook rested on the bench, the Rockets scored 14 points. And, you know, it's not like four points in five possessions like uh for the thunder like that's not that bad right like, like i mean you shouldn't be you wouldn't think you'd be getting killed there you might lose a couple of points off the lead but i mean the game w- was uh pretty much out of reach uh, by the time poor westbrook returned uh, a 10-0 run when they were up five I mean, it wasn't out of reach but they were down five in like less than three minutes it was incredible and a lot of it w- was Houston getting a little lucky or getting in the foul line and you know OKC wasn't getting terrible shots I actually thought that Oladipo at point guard they didn't play Cole either like they did all the adjustments that I wanted to see rotation wise and I thought they sometimes it's a small enough sample that it's not going to work out and maybe you know that wasn't the right adjustment too but I thought Oladipo at least he can at least like come off a pick and roll and shoot a mid-range jumper that's like a 40% shot which they didn't even have that ability before so I thought he was just fine as a playmaker uh even though he struggled overall in this game I think he was four out of 17 and any I want to say he was like something like eight for 50 or something in the three games in Houston something absolutely awful like that so what else stood out to you just from the game itself in this one? I think it's incredible. We talked about this a little bit, but I just think it warrants repeating how many players on the on the Rockets, you know, as a team, I thought they did a pretty good job, but how many guys struggled at various moments in the series? Like Eric Gordon had a few just really nice moments, but then also, you know, he had three of 10 for this game. And then he had another game where he like couldn't make a shot for, I think it was game four, where he couldn't make a shot for almost the entire game. And then he got hot late and he was far better than Anderson and Ariza from the field. And yet they were still able to win this series against a very game team in five. Yeah. And, and Lou, who we mentioned 22 points in 33 minutes, uh, the Thunder tried to take advantage of him 
in the small small pick and rolls but it was really sort of like you know why do my eyes hurt you're using them for the first time and russ and abrinas who was setting the screen a lot just had no chemistry mcdermott's probably a little bit better at that but you know russ doesn't have and i've talked about this that russ you know for all of his gifts doesn't necessarily have the highest skill level i mean he can throw most passes left-handed now which is impressive but you know not a ton of moves off the dribble doesn't need a ton of moves off the dribble his, his hesitations and just exploding to the rim or crossing over is all he really needs um but you know he would come off the screen and they would double team russ and abrinas would pop right wide open in the top of the key nobody would rotate up to him and russ just wouldn't be able to get it to him in time or wouldn't see him or would hold on to the ball or something like they just didn't have the chemistry on those type of plays which i thought you know it was something that they should do attacking whoever lou williams was guarding was a smart play uh but russ just like couldn't get the ball out of his hands fast enough and I, it was good to see finally houston go to a trap on russ uh because we hadn't seen anybody try that all year now i think a lot of teams it is kind of telling you know remember how i used to complain all the time that like nobody was trapping russ at the end of these games and taking the ball out of his hands i, I think it is interesting that maybe teams were like you know what these are bad shots we're gonna let him take them and you know he made a lot of them uh during the regular season didn't make those now but and harden even said after the game was the game plan to kind of you know take everyone else away and like make Russ beat you and he said essentially yeah and you know as it was that strange dynamic that people kept talking about with us about you know we both picked Russell Westbrook to be MVP it was definitely something that was divisive but we acknowledged the whole time that it was value added that was not necessarily predictive and that that's part of the challenge of having the ward be most valuable player not most outstanding or best but it still was most valuable and he was still really valuable in this series it just the value came in specific bursts and then it, it wasn't always at the most important times and they didn't have enough beyond him to make it work. So I mentioned Robertson's rough defense and I don't know whether he was exhausted or there was some sort of injury involved. But basically, the entire fourth quarter, he couldn't get into a defensive stance. You would see him just kind of standing completely upright, and then the screen would come. And if you're not in a stance, you can't get over a screen. You just have a vertical body, and you can't like get and slither around and turn your body sideways and avoid getting screened. And so he was just getting blasted every single time, which you know he'd done a great job of avoiding throughout the series. And then Harden would go right downhill against Steven Adams or Taj Gibson and just end up getting fouled. And some, I will say this, I mean, Houston probably got like four or five very borderline calls in the fourth quarter and OKC didn't get any. Um, and, and so like there was one where Adams clearly blocked Harden. He had to kind of reach across his body, but that wasn't a foul probably. And then, you know, a couple of the Lou Williams ones and uh, there was another one where Harden drove. Although this was awesome. Mark Davis, who is not a, a well-respected official, uh, made a great call when Harden drove to the basket and actually intentionally tried to grab Robertson's arm as he was going up and just like go up through his arm while he grabbed at the same time. I thought that was like my favorite call of the playoffs to see that called as an offensive foul. Um, but yeah, I mean, Robertson just, he ran out of gas or he wasn't any good. And by that point, I mean, if he wasn't able to give them anything defensively, and, and they also hacked him out of the game in the third quarter too, if he wasn't able to give them anything defensively, Donovan probably should have gone away from him a little bit earlier than he did. But, you know, with Russ taking all these terrible threes every time down, it's like, why even have anybody else who's good uh, offensively on the floor anyway? We'll talk more about Houston, as you said, you know, going into the next series, because we know we know that the, the series that they're going against is, has at least one more game. But did this make you, in a broader sense, did this make you more or less confident about their capacity to compete this season against the Spurs, the Grizzlies, or the Warriors? You know, I wasn't that impressed with Harden series. 
they relied so much on being able to draw fouls in the series but they also got a lot of three-point attempts off and they're always going to do that so they do still have the variance i mean i think gordon anderson like those guys can play better Harden to me, despite the fact that, you know, he averaged 34 a game and had uh, 59% true shooting, very efficient, didn't turn it over that much. I thought he had a little bit of a disappointing series, perhaps in part due to that ankle issue. A lot of what he did was down the stretch. I mean, he certainly outplayed Westbrook down the stretch in a lot of these games. Um, but you know, the first three quarters of most of these games, he was going, you know, shooting really badly. He shot horribly from three point range, like the whole team did. And he wasn't getting good looks from three either. So we'll see. I mean, I think it all goes back to, you know, as we've been saying for a long time, can you guard that hardened pick and roll two on two and OKC, I thought did an okay job of that. Like I thought OKC, other than just committing bad fouls in the perimeter defended well enough to win this series, uh, it's just they couldn't score it on the end of games. And, and I mean, Nene was unbelievable. I mean, if you his finishing at the rim was just completely ridiculous in this series. And so that counteracted a little bit some of their struggles from three. Um, and, and I was impressed, too, with Houston's overall hustle. Like, they won the hustle battle in this game, too. Like, get a lot of long rebounds. Like, they're beating OKC in the offensive glass which shouldn't happen um so i don't know I, I i gotta i will have to think really long and hard if the spurs do advance about who i'm gonna pick in that series and i wouldn't have expected that uh, but that's more i think because the spurs haven't looked as good i mean and, and Kawhi, Kawhi is gonna have to beat them by themselves and and i do think Kawhi is better than harden i think Kawhi has played better than harden in these playoffs uh, i do think that san antonio has way better defensive matchups for harden than uh houston does for Kawhi. i mean they have one guy who can guard him and you know that guy is probably even too skinny ariza uh, he's he's like an okay guy not a lockdown guy so we're getting too into that but now we'll need to think about that more that's going to be probably the series that going in in this playoffs i will have like the least inkling of who i think is going to win it yeah, I think that's true. And also, I have some more, like, a piece that makes me more confident in the Rockets is that I just don't expect them to struggle in some of the ways that they did in this series, just missing a ton of open shots by guys who are good at shooting them. You know, it's a little bit yeah. different that, you know, if you could do that. And the effort that they showed overall defensively, the fact that the Capella-Nene combination, generally they produced at least, like, one solid performance between the two of them. It was almost always Nene, but that's still important. So I think that I feel differently about the Rockets, but I, I as kind of like with you, I'm not totally sure if it's better or worse because the, while the Thunder really did give them, you know, starters, starters, they really did give them the business. The teams that are ahead of them are very different challenges. Yeah. I mean, that, there's just going to be, that's going to be a fascinating series. Um, so let's talk about Spurs Grizz, but first this from Distilled. It's really hard to find the perfect pair of jeans. It's taken me quite some time. And, you know, there are ones that I liked, but they were, you know, $150, $200, $300. I'm like, all right, I can't spend this on jeans, even though they are a versatile piece of clothing, of course. But with Distilled, finally, I found a way to get that high-quality jean that fits really well, that looks really good at an affordable price. They start Distilled at just $75, and I happen to think they're way better looking and higher quality than the other jeans that are available in that price range. And that's because Distilled, they use the same fabrics, same factories, same wash houses as the best known brands and designers, but they skip the markups and the middlemen, they go directly to you and therefore you don't have to pay for that high pressure salesperson salary at a department store distilled also has great outerwear leather jackets t-shirts as well as they have a uh, great women's jeans also got my girlfriend a pair of shorts from there that she really likes. 
So with free shippings and free returns until you find the perfect pair distilled is your answer to elevated style without elevated prices. The way to get started with them, distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com, no vowels, slash cap space URL, and get 10% off your first pair right now. That's distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com, slash cap space for 10% off right now. Five letters, distilled.com slash cap space. So I didn't catch as much as this one. I went back and watched some in the third quarter as well. But I mean, is this kind of what we were expecting? I would say so broadly. I mean, Kawhi Leonard was, again, spectacular. 9 of 16 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3, 28 points. Again, impressive from the free throw line. He did miss one, so. Yeah, I, I thought he sucked in this game. He finally missed a free throw. Like, I was <laughs> expecting him to just never, never miss one again. He had made, like, his first, like, 48 of the series or something. And he also had six assists, which is because we had talked about I think it was last game where he only had one or two. And so he wondered about that. And Memphis, I give them all the credit in the world for for fighting his game ways. They have another strong performance from Mike Connolly, someone else we put in our top five MVPs of the first round, even though his team is now yeah, down. That's a good one, actually. Let's talk about that really briefly. So who are your like, what's your if you had to give an MVP ballot for the first round, what would it be? So I would, I, I think I would still have LeBron one. There, there's the challenge of competition, but you also have to keep in mind that you know the the other guy that I would have too is Kawhi, and there, you know, Kawhi's battling mostly individually with James Ennis, and you could say maybe Memphis is better than the Pacers. I would certainly say that, but yeah, I mean, that, LeBron is being guarded by like Paul George and Thad Young most of the time. Like, that's actually a pretty yeah, good exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like the Pacers were a worse yeah. team, but hard, but his matchups in particular were tougher. Yeah. So I would Although, say. He's got so much more shooting around it, but I agree with you. I think it would be yeah. LeBron one and and, and the way that he figured so centrally in some of their in some of their biggest moments, you know, like the, those lineups where it was like D- Darren Williams and Channing Fry and all these other guys, and you're like, oh yeah, this is LeBron and the LeBronettes. Like that's just the way this works out. Kawhi second, Chris Paul third, probably Conley fourth. He's had a a, a really nice run, and I think he again he's figured into a lot of the best things in losses and the best things in wins, which is something I really look for, look at with the most yeah. valuable player. And the fifth spot, there are a million different people that are potential. I The, the guy who kind of has a similar argument to Conley is Isaiah Thomas. Like Thomas had some good games and losses as well and was absolutely spectacular in game four. And so I'm, I'm going to go with Thomas also on the logic that I think he will add to that case in the games game or games left to be played. Yeah, I think, and, and Harden and Westbrook, I think have just been too inconsistent in, in through the course of games even if their overall stats are not that bad and uh oh and you know, the Steph other one Curry is john wall would be in there too yeah john wall would be in there as yeah well. i, I mean, think i think i probably maybe have john over isaiah now but that might change yeah but i mean we've been privileged there have been a lot of stars playing really well so far in these playoffs and, and i think that's been very enjoyable to see i mean uh you know chris paul what he's been doing just keeping the, the clippers afloat somehow uh really has been remarkable too um and he you know he had another great game today but Back to this one. I mean, the big story here, other than Kawhi just doing what we basically have come to expect from him at this point, which is pretty crazy considering where he came from, but was Tony Parker... And, and I mean, I've been shocked at just the raw numbers, how well he has scored in this series. Um, and then Patty Mills finally breaking out as well. And they played Mills and Parker together in the fourth quarter when they broke out. Mills was five of seven on threes, seven of 10 from the field overall had 20 points. Uh, when you can get 20 points on uh, 10 shooting possessions, that's pretty good. Uh, and Parker, six of 12 for him. 
and he managed 16 points also. Um, no complaining from Memphis on this one from the foul line. And very interesting. I mean, these teams continue to shoot it really well from three in general. I mean, game four, not as much, but 14 out of 28 on threes for the Spurs in this one. Uh, despite Danny Green only going one out of two, Parker was two for four. We mentioned Mills, of course, and uh, well, Bertans was only one for five. Yeah, which is a surprise. Bertans did play fourteen minutes, though, which I like to see, and Pau Gasol only sixteen, which is a and a little disturbing that Pau Gasol. I mean, and the next two teams they're going to match up with play a lot smaller than Memphis. Pau Gasol is still only getting 16 minutes. And David Lee played 25. Yeah, he started and he actually outplayed Zach Randolph. I, I thought that Randolph really, for Memphis to win games in this series, he really has got to outplay whoever his counterpart is. And, and the only disappointing thing for the Spurs is LaMarcus Aldridge, though he led the team, or no, actually Mills was plus 22, but he was plus 20, but he only still got 13 shots up in 38 minutes, which is again kind of a surprise to me um and with Randolph only playing 26 minutes there are a lot of times where Aldridge had a pretty good matchup and I still am very surprised how little he's been used in pick and pop uh in these playoffs but you know they're gonna need Aldridge to score more because maybe against Houston Parker will be able to, get to do a little better although he's gonna have to go up against Beverly but certainly if they match up against the Warriors like Tony Parker is not gonna be consistent offensive option and uh then it's going to be up to guys like mills uh, making shots and he went off tonight a little disturbing to me though that again another guy they're really going to need in the next two series danny green only got 22 minutes in this one you were talked about guys busting out and you didn't even mention the player who went from zero points in the series to 10 Manu ginobili yeah that's true too and i think the spurs bench finally coming through i mean this is really the first game that the spurs bench has dominated although worth noting that they won by 13 and Kawhi was plus 19 so there's still a uh, negative six in the 10 minutes that and, he was off and remember floor. what memphis's bench is now like this is this is not the full strength memphis you know every team that's jermichael green who is you know has been a starter for much year andrew harrison wayne selden troy daniels like that's really the guys on their bench and some of it was starters versus bench guys like that's just kind of the way memphis's rotations can work sometimes but still yeah jermichael green actually shot it well three of five on threes he had hit some jumpers in game four too if he can make jump shots He's going to help prove his value, although I, of course, would caution relying on the fact that someone made jumpers over a six-game or seven-game playoff series. And Harrison, he played 23 minutes. That's just too much. Uh, he was negative 21, and... It was and it was all uh, negative eighteen when Conley was off the floor, which is uh, not very good either. So uh, he, I mean, I do think they need to go to Daniels more. Selden, Daniels, like those guys looked a little bit better. I mean, I still don't think Harrison, although he did have those heroics and scored nine points, which is better than he'll normally do. He had those heroics in Game Four. I still think that Daniels or Selden, those are better options, perhaps. And maybe they still need to think about playing Mike Conley more minutes, although. You know, when we switched over to it during the Tour NBA show, I mean, when he was being guarded by Kawhi, you know, just the the incredible amount of effort that it takes for Conley to get open as, you know, a guy who's not blessed with elite athleticism at this point in his career, it takes a lot. So maybe they just have decided he cannot play more minutes than like 37 minutes a game. Something else that I feel is worth noting as we move into other series, and you talked about how Powell only played 16 minutes. Dwayne Dedman basically got a DNP. He, he did play in garbage time with Kyle Anderson and Deontay, and Deontay Murray, who Dejounte Murray. And yeah. that is significant in the sense that, yeah, he's he might still be coming back from his thing, but the Spurs don't necessarily need him. But I think that he provides a different angle on them that can be really useful. But if he's not going to be a part of the rotation, then that changes that changes it structurally. Yeah. Uh, 
last point in this one this has been such an offensive series I never would have thought that between these two teams but you know between the Spurs getting on the offensive glass the Spurs had a 140 offensive rating in this game it it was a slow game really slow game only 83 possessions and to win at 116 103 and then for the Grizz uh, this is the number one defense in the NBA for the Grizz to put up a 124 offensive rating themselves I mean it's just it's been incredible and now they're both shooting the lights out on threes but pretty remarkable the type of offensive performance these teams have been able to put up and again you know more worrisome just in in the aggregate for the Spurs just like they're supposed to be winning games defensively and I don't think I think it's going to get so much harder for them certainly against the Warriors maybe not maybe not against Houston maybe that'll be more of an offensive series than we're thinking it'll be too but uh it's been this is not a Grizzlies team that was like a good offense during the year uh another thing too Gasol only won three points attempt. you might like to see more but clearly it wasn't the Grizzlies offense that was the problem in this game it was uh their defense and you know letting they got to stop letting parker go off like that's that's the biggest thing here is like he's not good anymore and uh letting him just attack them like this like that they got to improve there and they'll get a chance to do that i mean i i'm very intrigued not necessarily with where this series is going but just to see that game six on thursday with how the grizzlies respond and to see a, a test for the spurs i mean this is a team that they're better than even as much as memphis has really brought it out and they're going to have a rowdy home crowd so see what the Spurs have in them see if they can really put together a win that will be more representative of what they're going to face moving forward yeah this one to me has Memphis winning game six all over it uh and going back to game seven and then you know a pretty comfortable 15 point Spurs win in game seven that's what this is feeling like to me and that would mean a fair amount of rest for the Rockets as well yes it shall all right uh it is time for us to rest as well thank you so much for listening don't forget about the twitter nba show probably be a limited twitter nba show schedule just me checking in every once in a while the games are close but then we'll go with both games we did four straight hours of coverage today it was awesome uh for all three games we did the entire basically uh jazz clippers game so we'll uh and uh thursday will be game six of bucks wraps which i'm really looking forward to as well in game six of this series uh spurs grizz so that'll be great and uh we're trying to come up with a way to we'll give you more information on this but please stay tuned of a way to keep the twitter nba show going uh with a patreon account um as maybe that that's the best way to kind of uh and we're trying to come up with the delay is we're trying to figure out like what would be a good value added to give to our listeners for that but of course we always appreciate your support and uh if you want to do that for this show that cap space code on SeatGeek will get you a 20 dollars rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase and the url distilled.com dstld.com slash cap space will get you 10% off your first pair of jeans. Talk to y'all next time.